You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. And welcome to the Archaeology in Ale, a free monthly public archaeology talk brought to you by Archaeology in the City, the community outreach program from the University of Sheffield's Department of Archaeology. These talks take place at the Red Deer, a popular pub on Pitt Street in Sheffield, near the Archaeology Department. It is a busy place, so there might be background noise in our recording. Also, please do be advised that strong language may be used at certain points. This month, our guest speaker is Colin Merini. And they will be speaking about... Castleton and Hope Through Time. Enjoy. Let's talk about the project's been running in the Hope Valley for a while now. Um, as I'm sure you all realised, archaeological projects always have a very firm plan at the start. They've got a research sort of strategy, and every project always follows that very precisely. So it all happens to time, and you get to the end of it, it's completed as planned, and you tie up all the loose ends. Well, you're going to see a project that sort of runs like that, I think, over over. So this is... Um, oh, do sorry. You're not missing anything yet, in fact, you probably say the same part now as time. Anyway... Um, <laughs> There are lots of slides, so I'll be rushing through pictures, so pay attention to there. Um, I have no clock, so I could be going on for hours, I know I'd be a bit. Anyway, how did we end up with a project in the Hope Valley? Well, just in case, I'm sure you all know where, you, where we're talking about, but just in case you don't, we're over here somewhere at the moment, and about 15 miles away, we're talking about this bit. We're talking about the end of the Hope Valley, so the parishes of, of Hope and Castleton. Um, and it's very nice, because it sits at the end of this valley, and it has this... Uh, the, the, the stream coming in here past Brough, the, the No, which is coming in sort of from Tideswell direction, the heart of the Peak District, and it's also got this connecting uh, route way out through Hope up to Edale. Um, so it's a nice geographical unit. It makes sense when you're there, and it looks rather nice. And we all know there's lots of um, identified archaeology there. There's things like Mantour at the end of the valley. So what should we call it? Late Bronze Age, Iron Age, Hillfort. So you can see the ramparts of it running round. Massive great thing, that's the landslip. Um, that's blocked the road that's there because, of course, the Hope Valley is also a major east-west routeway. So going up the Hope Valley, up when it's past it is now, but there was another uh, routeway up past Van Tor there, um, across to Chapel on the Frith and ultimately to the Cheshire Plain, and in the other direction, heading out towards Nottinghamshire and into Yorkshire. So other things, the Roman fort at Brough, Navio. It's a really odd fort, it's a little square thing. It's not quite the right shape, um, but we'll worry about that later. Um, and Peveril Castle itself, which gives the name to Castleton. So Castleton shouldn't be there until the castle is built, because it wouldn't have the name otherwise. Uh, but we'll, we'll see about that in a few minutes' time, as to whether Castleton is there before the castle or not. Um, and there's lots of other attractions, like the caves, the famous caves. That's the entrance to Peak Cavern there. There's Peak Peveril Castle up there. So the entrance to Peak Cavern there. So, and the tourist honey spot that is Castleton, with people. Every school child in the world seems to have to go take a clipboard to castle at some point. So lots of people there, lots of things going on. So you think, well, why would we end up in a project um, at Castleton? Why would the University of Sheffield end up working with these local groups? Well, one reason is you get a really wide range of local volunteers, even down to the local ducks that come onto the site uh, when it's wet. Um, it all stems really from the Castleton Historical Society, who um, 
who asked us to come in there, and it's grown from that invitation into, into around Carlton itself, and I'll start in Carlton because that's where the project started, um, with sort of three main areas. The Spitalfield, I'm going to talk about, that's the biggest thing we're going to talk about today. An area we call Jewel Yard, which is also near Goose Hill Hall on the other side of the village, and New Hall, and just to the north of that behind the Methodist Chapel, as it is now. So, where are we going to be? Um, if we go back to 2007, the Carston Historical Society had been looking at the documentary evidence. That's what they all they all got together. They'd had little funding funding from places and so on. They all got there. They looked at it. And the one thing that turned up to them was their their supposed medieval hospital. Um, and they thought, oh, we'd like to know more about this medieval hospital. Who can we talk? Who can we uh, get to help us do that? And so, by a, a route of Stella Maguire and various people. Uh, they contacted us at the university and they've got some documentary evidence to show that the um, hospital was there, so founded by the wife of William Peverell. We'll come back to all this in a few minutes. But So it's probably first half of the 12th century foundation um, and we've got various documentary references to it throughout its 400 years or so life. Um, so, first of all, before anything else, just a reminder of what, what we're talking about when we mean by medieval hospital here. Um, we're not talking about something that's a purely medical establishment as we would have uh, today. The hospital really is referring to the hospitality source of the word, so it can act in all kinds of ways. They can be effectively places where pilgrims stay. They can offer specialist medical, so they could be a leper hospital. Um, they often are much more like sort of care homes for people who are old and retiring into that, or places that were enable um, sort of safe places for women to give birth and so on. So they have a variety of different functions, and they're looking to create an income stream from all of those functions, and they tend to adapt over time. If you're a leper hospital at the beginning of the medieval period, there's no point in being one by the 15th century because you haven't got any customers. Um, you've run out of lepers. So they'll, they'll adjust and adapt, as the church has always been very good at when it wants to make money. Um, so, and the, But behind all of that, one of the major functions of these is actually to provide a service to the people who provided the resources to set them up in the first place. So you think you're a rich person, you establish a hospital, that's a charitable act. Well, not really, because you're expecting a product in return. You're expecting the prayers of the people who use that hospital uh, to be harvested on your behalf uh, to help your passage through, through death, effectively. So when you die, you have this period in purgatory. You want to shorten that as much as possible, and in order to shorten that as much as possible, you have to have done things like live a good life, have a good death. But you also need the living to intercede on your behalf through the process. So you need people to pray for you. And obviously the sick and the weak have the most powerful prayers. And so if you establish a hospital and you harvest those prayers on your behalf, it's a really good, powerful product um, that you're getting. So you're buying service, really, from the church in that sense. And you may also be buying more direct service, so for example, Corridies, which is sort of retirement plans. You give all your uh, wealthy wealth to the church and they then look after you for the rest of your life. So you may be doing that. But, but there's all sorts of things church uh, hospitals are involved in. Um, and... Uh, uh, <coughs> That means they're sort of different beasts, but they all have many things in common. First of all, there are quite a lot of them. Um, oh, that's, that's just 850, not 8,500. Anyway. Um, they basically reflect where rich places are in 12th and 13th century um, Britain. If it's richer, then it's likely to have more hospitals. They're very similar. So you find that some places, the rural places have very few, and the place that is rich in the 12th century will have lots of them. So that's why, if you're thinking of, say, um, South Yorkshire, Doncaster will have more than anywhere else, and then Tick Hill, because those are the major administrative centres of the 12th and 13th century. Um, but if you want to think of Yorkshire as a whole, then you know, 31 in York on its own, 14 in Hull, 
um, you know, that's as many as there are in the whole of Derbyshire, the number in Hull, and York outstrips them all in London again. So they're very much reflecting how wealthy places, are, where the rich, wealthy people are living. So that's why you end up with one at Sheffield and one in Denison and so on. So you're at Spittle Hill on the other side of Ladiesbridge, just up from the castle. So in Derbyshire, we've got about 14 of them. The problem is many of them are very poorly known. They'll just be known from a single documentary reference, so we know very little about them. And there's a possibility in Derbyshire that we have a new one at Brassington, in the sense that there is no documentary evidence for it. There's just that sort of local anecdotes and a barn in the middle of a field, which may have something to do with that. Um, but anyway, we're actually quite well off at Castleton because you've got uh, quite a number of references to it. We think it's probably originally, its original purpose is the infirm poor. But almost certainly it took pilgrims in because of that major east-west routeway across the Cheshire Plain um, through the Hope Valley. Now, what might we expect to find? Well, this is the interesting bit for archaeologists uh, um, because hospitals are, of course, high-status um, entities. They're going to be high-status things, so they've got stone buildings. They're going to have stuff, so material culture, um, and they're going to have interesting things, again, high-status so particular things to do with um, hospitals, such as um, holy water vials and all sorts of things, and um, jet bowls, uh, because if you put water in a jet bowl for three days, then you could use that water to relieve childbirth, the pains of labour, sorry. Um, and of course, it may just be that three days later, all that's over anyway, and so you didn't need the water. But anyway, how it worked, I don't know. Anyway, you find jet bowls and things like that, they all have special properties, and you find dead people. So cemeteries, not all hospitals have cemeteries, but the majority do. And that's great, we're archaeologists. We want to find things. We don't always find things, and of course, not finding things is important too. But if you want to become a professor, important person, finding things is a really useful thing to do. And so hospitals offer us those sort of material, physical things that mean they look like a good thing to be working with. Um, and so when you have a hospital that you have a good eye, there's a good documentary reference to it, the local people want to come in and talk to us and see what we can do about it. And there's a department, we've had quite a long track record of being interested in medieval hospitals. We worked at the hospital in Bawtree for a long time, then Castleton and now Hughes have that one at uh, Thornton Abbey and so on. So they're part of our, our sort of normal work. Um, then you're going to jump at this chance because you think this is good, it's going to uh, be a good project, we can be in there and in and out fast and come up with the goods. So we've got this information about the, the foundation, um, we don't really know quite what that means. So normally as part of a, a, a hospital, it'll be associated with a monastery. Now to all, but the vast majority associated with monasteries don't know the situation here. And that creates quite an interesting conundrum because later on, Castleton, the church, uh, everything is associated with Vale Royal in Cheshire. Um, <clears throat> but that's not there for more than 100 years after the hospital gets going and similar length of church. Uh, and there was a lot of problem, particularly in the 14th century, with uh, Lenten Priory in Nottingham, who used to just basically go in and beat people up and nick stuff, and then they took over the church at Carston, and eventually Vale Royal took them to court to try and get their church back and various other lands back. It could just be that they're typical people from Nottingham. <laughs> but it could be, and I expect what we're seeing is that Lenton Priory held the properties in the Hope Valley, and then the king came along in the 13th century, picked them off and gave them to a different monastery, and Lenton Priory remained aggrieved, and kept trying to get them back again, or at least get the, the, the income from them back again. But anyway, so we've got these documents that tell us, you know, it is associated with uh, uh, um, <coughs> monastery, brothers from the hospital are uh, going to bring land into cultivation. We don't, we can't, we aren't certain about that. Um, the monastery involved. Uh, we know we've got some description of it, particularly at the end of its life. So there, it's a mansio. That's not necessarily anything very big, but it's bigger than Domus. So you've got a building there with a, a little chapel annexed to that house. 
does that mean actually stuck to it or just nearby? Some land, blah, blah, blah. Uh, all that's going into the hands of Thomas Savage, who set the bells and lead. That's a phrase to remember. So they're getting the properties, but the properties are stripped of valuable materials. We've got field names to tell us where it should be. So Spitalfield, Spitalpingle, Little Spittle, and so on. So the area in here is where the caravan park is now. This is Lucio Hall. Those of you who know the area, this is the road into Castleton. Um, so we know sort of from field names where it should be. We even have a description from a later, um, <coughs> from the 1650s, of where the, the, where the ruins are. They're in a field which is bounded on the south by Peaks Arse River. That's here, now called the Peaks Hill Water, because we're very much uh, more prudish. <laughs> well, then uh, east by a common name is Overmaston, well, that's where Marston Farm is. North by the Highway that leads to Hope, that's the Highway that leads to Hope, although unfortunately this map is after the turnpike is construction, so it may or may not be referring to the road in the same place. And on the west, partly by the river, partly by the highway. So it's got to be in this field, um, you think. And then, very nicely, it's a scheduled monument. So we can't go wrong, can we? We can't <laughs> fail. This has to be easy, good publicity, treasure. All the nice things archaeologists want to find and everything happy. So, and there, if you look in the, the field, just as you come along the road, entrance to Lucille Hall, um, in there there's some earthworks, there's ridge and furrow across most of the field, but earthworks in there, and the scheduled area covers there with a description saying, showing the mounds overlaying the foundations. Marvellous. So when you get asked to do that, you're not going to say no, are you? You're going to say, this is easy. We'll do that. So, winter 2007, we began. What's this going to be? Maybe a three-year project? Let's have a plan for that. Maybe we'll push the five years eventually, but do that. Well, it starts off with geophysics, of course. What else would you want to do? And I like this photo because you can clearly see third-year student there enjoying her day out doing geophysics with me in Derbyshire. <laughs> you can see why she went into pub management after she graduated. <laughs> Last year she's come back into the fold, she did the buildings MA at York, so that's just a few back with us. Um, but anyway, having a good time. Geophysics, always worth it. So that's the geophysics plot uh, of the scheduled area from the magnetometry. Interesting that. That is a 1950s Cold War oil pipeline that runs through. It's part of our Cold War defences, connecting refineries on the Humber estuary with the Mersey estuary, with a big storage area in Exalt Mines in Cheshire. Uh, it's still part of our um, military infrastructure now. It's, it's checked every every day, every week. Every, it's checked all the time by helicopters flying over it and things like that. Um, and so it still has fuel going in various directions and things, apparently. You can follow it across. The, I don't know why they're so bothered about it. There's big white posts all the way along the valley telling you where it is, so you can't really miss it. And you can see the, the hollow across the thing running right across. It wasn't a scheduled area when the pipeline was put in, but it runs right across uh, the hospital would be. Um, but it's still exciting when the helicopter lands and they're trying to arrest you because they think you're trying to blow up the oil pipeline. Just go, We're archaeologists. And they go, oh, no, not again. Um, so anyway, it's a big pipeline running across there. A couple of my old covers here from a, another... Uh, pipe running through there, and we've got this thing, I don't know what it is, pipe or cable running that way. But it doesn't show a lot that's very medieval. So we try resistivity, this should show up walls and things. This is our scheduled area in here. We've got a hint of the bank that you can see in a, a, the hollow of the dip that runs down there. There's nothing very convincing in here. There's some high resistance features, and actually there was a little T-shaped thing there, which proved to be more significant than we thought. But anyway, it doesn't really look that convincing that you've got these high status, nice solid stone buildings in there that are clear. So, you then think, right, we'll have to dig some holes. Um, geophysics isn't giving us the answer nice and neatly. Dig some holes. We'll start by um, digging some excavations outside, around the edge of the scheduled area. This is a high status site. It's there for 400 years. There should be stuff kicking about in the area around it. So, we put in a number of trenches. And there we are. They're really exciting. We've had a really couple of crummy field drains. Not a single shirt of anything, not a single scrap. It's one of the cleanest fields in England, let alone for medieval stuff. Um, but you know, that's all right. 
I'm quite used to not finding things. I've worked in South Yorkshire for a long time after all, so uh, we're not being put up by that. And of course, take them in, take them in. Not being put up by not finding things. Uh, so um, we carry on. So we're going to carry on. We're not giving up that easily. Talk to English Heritage, it was at the time. Get permission to go to the show there and also put more test pits across the field. Well, the test pit is just as exciting as the trench earlier the year before. This time we did get one abraded shirt of medieval pottery halfway across the field. You might think people would start to give up. No, let's not do that. Let's have a look in the scheduled area. Well, there's the bank and ditch. There's a bank enclosing this area that they think that medieval hospital sits in. Um, very convincing. You dig a hole in it, there's nothing in it. If that was a bank and ditch that had been around the hospital for 400 years, when this is a high state of science, surely there'd be some rubbish in it. There's nothing at all. Looks like that bank and ditch is, is dug very quickly and probably abandoned not very long later. Um, so but that doesn't match the medieval hospital. What's going on? You can see we also put a trench in the middle of the scheduled area in there, so we'll have a look at that. Now, at least there's something archaeological in that, in the sense there's some dumps of stone with 18th century pottery in it, and a few flagstones. Maybe we've got to the old surface. Then we've got this post-medieval dumping. Why? What's going on? It's supposed to be a medieval hospital. We wanted treasure, publicity, newspapers, <laughs> um, but we're not going to get it. Instead, we get the children from Castle Primary School coming along um, just before the end. They dig at the end of the trench here, just when I was about to give up, and they go and find a wall. <laughs> yeah. Two years, we've got nothing. They come for an afternoon, and they get the wall. Um, obviously, it's not a terrible thing to let school children onto your side. Uh, no, it's a wonderful thing. So, anyway, we've got a wall, a good wall, with a plaster face to it, but only 18th century pottery. When is this medieval hospital? Is that the medieval hospital? We don't know. You'd have thought people might start to doubt us at this point because we're not finding anything. But anyway, we're, we're, so fortunately, English Heritage, as they were at the time, sorry, England now, start to doubt their scheduled area. So they say, carry on, let's dig a bigger area. Now, you're going to see quality graphics here. Now, this is state of the art <laughs> visualization. This is my, you're going to see this grow into the site around you as the trenches are dug. Um, this is the wall, as you can see it. Uh, so I'm just preparing you for the excitement of the visualisation here, the <laughs> graphics. Um, not me, in Photoshop, horridly. No, um, so we dig a bigger area with all our local volunteers and students from the university and everybody else, um, and shapes start to appear. Yes, we've got our wall, but other walls. So the wall we had the year before was up here. We've got another wall appearing in here, mound of stones here that was actually a thin layer of stones on top of a mound of soil. And then eventually we get some proper walls. That's the bit we'd seen the year before. It runs out here, but it's robbed out there. There's a wall coming up and butts up against it there and there was a doorway there that's been filled in and in the background just behind Chris Cumberbatch there he's rarely allowed out with boxes of pottery but there he is <laughs> outside um, in the background there's a wall over there so we have got some structures here underneath this lump in the middle um, and uh, it looks like that oh who's that in the background planning there um, <laughs> it turns up a lot you'll see uh, so here's our wall with the wall adjoining it there it's been robbed out here we don't know what's going on there but there's another wall at the back running towards the bank um, and we've got some bits of medieval uh, pottery. So really nice 15th century pottery coming out of this lump in the middle. Now that lump in the middle is overlying this wall, so that wall is ruined by the time, time that material is dumped on top of it. Unfortunately, also dumped on top of that wall is loads of material with 18th century pottery on it. So I don't think that is an in-situ medieval deposit somewhere else. Somebody has dug some stone and soil up and some nice late medieval pottery and dumped it on this site in the 18th century. Uh, from where we don't know. Nice to know where it came from. That'd be a good site to look at. But we are getting occasional shards of earlier medieval pottery coming out of this lighter coloured material that looks like natural. 
and it sort of runs at the base and underneath the walls. But as you scrape, you realise there are bits coming out of it. It's obviously not natural. It's not undisturbed natural anyway. Um, so that needs to be investigated. And that was a problem we had that ran through the whole of this, really. Um, so there is the graphics. The one problem here is don't use yellow on a white background for PowerPoint. It's rubbish. Um, but anyway, we can make it out. Um, there's our wall. There's our wall in the background. So we've got a building. We haven't got really much in the way of medieval plus. We've got a bit, but it's not wildly convincing yet. But what about dead people? What about a cemetery? Well, look who's getting it all the bits. Um, yes, we've got human skulls in that layer that looks like it's undisturbed, except when you dig bits and find stuff in it. That's the top of somebody's head. Top of a skull off, upside down. Um, so we've got human skull and other fragments of human remains and these occasional bits of medieval pottery. So we must be near the hospital. Surely this is the site of the hospital. So 2012, we carry on. Remember, what, some of you may remember what a good year 2012 was round here. June, triple the normal uh, rainfall. July, double the normal rainfall. So there was a lot of time looking at things like this. Um, really nice change, uh, this one. This was really good. We never did get to do that. Took turf off and filled up with water. Four weeks later, we filled it in again. Good signs like this. This is the reporter from Peak FM Radio. Somebody should explain to her that working in the Peak District and going to a archaeological site in the pouring rain really means you should dress more appropriately. Um, fortunately, next to talking to her is... Angela, the chair of the local history society, very sensibly dressed. But I don't think I've ever seen a reporter less sensibly dressed for getting on the road. Anyway, I presume she survived, um, and that's all right. But it wasn't always like that. There were some drier days and times. Um, so we, this is the wall running that way. We're now getting the other end of it. And it runs a couple of metres and it's robbed out again, or so it seems. Um, and we put some sundials through this yellow stuff. But essentially, we've got some scraps of uh, structures. Um, and this wall, which is again robbed out just a few metres long, so we've got this stump of a wall uh, running across the side, it seems to be robbed out. And there we have the beautiful graphics back again, showing that wall ending there. So we've got this sort of little T-shaped, L-shaped thing. And then we've got the wall at the top, which looks like a, a, a field wall of some kind rather than a building. It's got really poor foundations. Um, so what we also had on here, however, in various places, such as down there and over here, are these things, little hearths, full of white, heavy sort of hardish but bendy stuff um, and we had quite a few of these and it's this and when you pick it up it's really heavy and you go oh this is lead and there are some bits of lead as well lead window came there and off cuts of lead so we've got halves full of lead splashed into them as if somebody's melted some lead picked it up some of it splashed into the half and it's cooled down there's little bits of lead left behind and remember accept the bells and lead in the hospital so it looks like we've got evidence of the demolition, and it must be the hospital. Nothing else out there is going to have lead. So we must have a demolition of the hospital. We've got 18th century stuff, something's going on, but we don't really have very good, or it doesn't seem like we have very good in situ medieval stuff. So we don't give up, we move slightly to the south, so we move down a little bit to see what we get there. And we get fragments of structures, like this double line of stones here. Come back to that in a few minutes. Line of stones over here and so on. Just scraps, 18th century pottery. We're beginning to get some Blocks of white stone in regular, which I, I write off as being courtyard surface or yard surface of some kind. That was completely wrong, but that's not, that's not unusual, so it's all right. So here we are, a little bit added on to here. You're just beginning to think, yes, there's, okay, there's some scraps of structures here. There's some bits of medieval, there's some bits of bone floating around, but there's not enough left of anything medieval we should give up. Um, and so, but we, we put a few, we dig into this brown stuff underneath again. So we put some little slightly deeper sondages. Uh, in here, through that, what looks like natural into there, just to see whether it's going to turn up anything, um, whether it's going to turn up any substantial. And so, in this area, we, we cut this slot out down here, we clean that back, and we start to get, oh, at last, 
we've got something. So, grave cuts. The grave cuts are there. You just can't see them. Something has disturbed that upper layer, which means the grave cuts are not visible at the sort of at what, what looks at first to be the level of the natural. It clearly isn't the level of the natural. Something has disturbed it. Um, but that's the last day of the excavation, so we're not going to deal with that. Students get upset. Who cares? Um, so, come uh, back next year if you want to dig it. That's all right. Um, so, anyway, so we can't dig it. We haven't got time, so we come back the following year. But there we've got a couple of possible grave cuts on our site without really knowing what's going on. So we keep going. Um, sign here, this is, so we've, that's one of our grave cuts from the year before, coming, coming through there. Uh, this triangle of white stones is important. I didn't think it was at the time. Um, it looked like a bit of cobbled yard surface or something. That's not what it turned out to be, but I didn't think much of it at the time. People kept telling me they were more important than worse, but I don't listen to them. Of course. Um, so anyway, were those grave cuts, did they have dead people? Are they grave cuts or just bits? Well, they are grave cuts. There's a couple of little ones here that proved to have uh, dead babies in them, but those two grave cuts that we have, yes, there we are, nice people. Um, some of them well-preserved, some of them very poorly preserved, just a few yards away from each other. Um, so you've got um, nice ones like this, very well-preserved. So two, those two first grave cuts we saw really well-preserved uh, skeletons within them. Almost all the other burials are very poorly preserved, uh, except for some this year. Uh, so, we've got some dead people, that's good. We, we can worry about why some are poorly preserved, some well preserved. What data are there? Are they medieval? If they are, it's got to be the hospital cemetery. It's just got to be. Um, so, we dig that. So, nicely preserved burials here, and then some poorly preserved burials out there. One thing I should point out all these buckets, the blue buckets are upside down with stones on top of them. There's another one just off the picture there. They've all got extra heads on them, in them. heads on their own. Uh, so we've got a number of extra heads in the cemetery, um, which is a slight problem, but anyway, it's not very bad too much. Um, <laughs> but most, we've got some dead people here, and of course, the thing is, let's get some let's get some dates for them. Radiocarbon dates, that's the obvious thing to do, except, of course, radiocarbon dates of dead people tell you when they died. They don't tell you when they were buried, necessarily. We assume they were buried soon after they died. We don't really know that, do we? Um, so, and we know in some cases, certainly in prehistoric contexts, there are a number of examples where people aren't buried until long after they're dead. So one of the things I always find very strange is that that seems to satisfy people. Get rid of carbon date on the body, we're happy about the burials. Why? Why not try to um, uh, date the, the fills? And we can do that now with optically stimulated luminescence dating. So here, there is the portable dosimeter in the, in the fill. So this bit we've left in the bottom of the grave here. You take samples out of that. This shows you the last time it's exposed to sunlight. So you dig that grave out, dump the stuff there, and you fill it back in again. And the, the quartz grains, the sand grains in there start to, keep, start to absorb energy, start to store that energy. Um, and you can measure that. Unfortunately, we've got an OSL dating lab in the geography department here. And so you can get things like that done very cheaply. Um, and so you can try to uh, date the body with radiocarbon and date the fills uh, with OSL. And I don't understand why dating of fills in cemeteries is not a routine thing, but it doesn't appear to be caught on yet, I don't know why. But anyway, it's an obvious thing to do as far as I can see, to check that the burials are actually the same dates, but the people that died at the same dates as their burials. Anyway, dead people. So anyway, you can see well-preserved ones over here. Look, there's some of those white stones. That's where the triangle of white stones were. There were some more white stones just down here, which I just said, yeah, dig them up, get them um, There was a line of stones running across here. You start to perhaps see that here, 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 well-preserved, not well-preserved, you probably come to the right conclusion quicker than I did. So anyway, we can start to look at those and we can start to get dates for them. And yes, we have the right sorts of dates from, if we think the, the hospital is there from the early 1100s through to the early 1500s, then the dates fall into that. This is a medieval cemetery, it's got to be the hospital. We are in the right place, we just can't see convincing hospital buildings <coughs> at the moment. Um, 
so, but let's carry on. So we've got these burials in here, and we thought, well, we've been looking this way. This was also excavated in that very wet year. We should go back and have a look in here and see what's going on in here, see if this really is robbed out. Because we're beginning to realize that if you just take a little bit more off of this stuff that looks like natural, you find that it's masking features. And you just, you know, so we weren't digging deep enough. Um, so there we are, and look there, that's the little bits. So that white triangle of stones was there, and look, this is, so these aren't little bits of cobbled yard surface, they're the foundations of the wall of the building. And in most cases, that's all that's surviving. So this strip here was supposed to be robbed out. If you just scrape off the clay, you find the foundation is still there. The wall's been robbed out. A little bit of stuff's got smeared across the top of the foundations. We weren't digging deep enough to find it. Um, so uh, that bit is up there, triangle white stones, things going across there. Um, so that's the triangle white stones, which would come across here. Comes across like that, some more white stones, going to here. And you've got that bit the following year up there. Um, so there's a white stone, so two pictures. So if we put onto that, what we eventually work out is we have the east end of the building. And the well-preserved burials are inside the building, the badly preserved burials are outside the building. Phew, that makes, makes reasonable sense. So, okay, if we've got the end of the building here, can we work out what's going on at this end? See, three-year plan, five-year plan, it's all going swimmingly at the moment, <laughs> uh, no problem at all. So. Um, we, we come to look at this bit, we're trying to look at the bit we've got here and see if there's anything in the same way that actually the foundation continued. We just didn't realise it because we didn't dig deep enough. Um, can we do the same thing there? And yes, we can. So that's this foundation continuing that way. It genuinely is robbed out there. That's a 20th century telegraph pole uh, hole. Um, so the corner is missing, but then you've got another line of wall running that way. So let's swing it around so we're looking north um, on our plan. Uh, there's the uh, a wall, the wall that we were getting. We had the wall there back in our first time we hit the wall was just over there. So now we appear to have a corner of it, and so we can add that onto our the graphics are just bring it to life for you. Great choice of colours and everything. So, um, <laughs> think of this bit, so we thought, right, well, we've got those bits, can we prove this bit? Can we work out what was going on over here? Because it was a real mess when we tried that and we didn't dig deep enough. Deep enough. So let's put a trench across like that. And so there is that bit of the previous year's trench. Um, and then we think, well, we've got this patch of white stones over here, a bit of patch of white stones there, this double line of stones, we didn't know what was going on, that looks like a later addition. And um, it's sitting along the edge of this patch of white stones. So can we take this later rubbish off? And is it going to show us something convincing? Well, yes, it is. Because there is, at last, a decent bit of the medieval building um, surviving as just the foundation corpse in most cases. Uh, with a ridiculous, massive internal partition wall that we'll later. Um, but actually, most of the foundation of the building is there. It's just because it's just these cobbled irregular stones and you've seen bits and you weren't digging quite deep enough, we didn't recognize it for a long time. Um, but it's there eventually, fortunately. So we can now have our building there with its partition wall in the middle. So we have a medieval building with burials all the way around it, it seems. Um, because there are actually more barrels here around here, and we realise that there are also some when we're getting this bit of wall, there's also some, some odd barrels out there. Um, so there's beautiful drawing by Ken, that's one we produced here. But so we've got the building, there's a little bit, there's our triangle stone missing on there. Um, it must have been planned because that photograph has a planning frame on top of it. Can we find the plan? Well, but anyway, um, <laughs> uh, so we've got the end of the building, so we can see it, we can see the size of it, it's a good size. Is it the whole hospital? That's a question. Or is it just the chapel? Well, it has burials all the way around it. So my feeling is this is the chapel building. There's a, there should be a hospital building, which presumably is perhaps under the road, not far away, but probably in a place we can never get to it. But it, maybe this is all the buildings around. But it seems odd to have a hospital with the, the burials all the way around it. Um, 
uh, including in between it and the road. It seems a bit odd. But anyway, it's a reasonable size for a rural hospital at its time. Um, uh, chapel. Uh, we've got burials across the full range, including the two burials inside, which come a early and late. We've got some artifacts now that are coming out of reasonable context. So out of the wall itself, out of the fill of these floor layers in here and so on. This little bit of what might be a most of it a crucifix, we've got old bits of pottery and so on. And we've got some floor layers which we've taken soil micromorphology. That's apples, don't waste your money on QBR and tins, just buy some. Yeah, exactly. Bang them in, you can cut them with them. Send them to BGS in Nottinghamshire, and they don't mind cutting those for you. Um, much cheaper than Kubiana tins, much cheaper. Anyway, it seems to work all right. Anyway, so we've got some sort of morphology samples there, um, uh, which we haven't got results from yet. But so we have got some small areas of undisturbed deposits, which appear to be medieval, and we've got the basic outline of the medieval building, and we've got some dead people. Um, although the cemetery in the front here looked a bit odd. Uh, before last because it looked to have pieces of people in rather than individual burials everywhere else but individual burials so we went back this summer to have a look um, and this was the year before we were getting these bits of people um, and actually we weren't digging deep enough when you keep going down you find they resolve themselves into proper burials including <coughs> double burials with somebody disturbed and thrown back in yeah. um, after that so this is part of the cemetery running around the south side it looks to be rather uh, fuller than the other areas, it's understandable. But then also, just to cause trouble, you do that, you think these are nice burials, and then you just think, well, there's a patch over there with nothing in it, we should just put a sundage in it, shouldn't we? Just put a, let's have a little look there, because there won't be anything there. So you've left a little look there, and you find two more burials deeper down. There's a deeper one, there's another one at this level. So there's a burial at that level, a burial at that level, and most of the burials are up here. So there's a whole potentially series of deeper burials we've never even seen, because you can't see the grave cuts till you get right down to the to the body itself, so that's slightly annoying. Um, so we've got, so we have the cemetery. It may be that we've missed a lot of the cemetery we've been going around because we simply haven't been uh, digging deep enough. Um, but there we are. We've got so the, the hospital building is running up here, across like that, uh, and there's the south side the cemetery. There it looks like we've got these deeper burials, and this looks like it might be on top of another burial. So we could be seeing extra burials further down. I have to talk to Sorry Gingham about whether we want to explore that further or not. But essentially, we've got a pretty good idea of the, the hospital now. It is there. It's almost completely destroyed, actually, in the 18th century. Most of that disturbance, all the dumping of stone. What happens in the 18th century? The construction of the turnpike road. So I think that enclosing bank around it is actually the embankment around the builder's yard for the construction of the turnpike road. It's an 18th century builder's yard. It's got nothing to do with the hospital. It just happens to be roughly around the area the hospital's in. Um, and, but, and they've almost completely robbed the stone out of the hospital and destroyed it in order to build the road, and they've just left us enough bits to work out what's going on. So anyway, you would have thought over that time, the local history group would have said, God, these archaeologists are rubbish, they can't find anything. You give them something really obvious like that. Actually, what they said was, oh, it's a bit more complicated than we thought. This is really interesting. Can you help us look at our villages? Without me realising at the time that Corenza Lewis in the Higher Education Field Academy had turned up in Castleton and dug some test pits, not found anything, and run away crying back to Cambridgeshire um, because they realised they couldn't cope with the north. Um, so the standard method of looking at medieval villages is do a few test pits, a bit of field walking, a bit of geophysics. You can work out very quickly what's going on from Saxon through the 19th century. Worked beautifully in Northamptonshire Buckinghamshire and places like that. It was a really good project at Whittlewood, which is where Prince Lewis stole her, um, uh, her recording methods and everything else from. Because um, <laughs> she was on the advisory committee of it. But anyway, um, really, really easy to do. You come to the north, they're not like that. We don't have neatly mutated villages with loads of stuff from the, you know, the end of the Roman period onwards. Um, and I think so. They gave up. 
but we didn't give up. We wouldn't give up on that basis because we're used to it. So we thought, yes, okay, we'll have a look. It's an interesting question because actually we've got two supposedly very different villages. Hope is the big regional centre. It's there in Doomsday. It has one of these these big weird. Uh, Derbyshire Minster churches that cover re areas like Bakewell does, like Repton does, like Melbourne does, these, these big centres, and Hope is one of those. So we know Hope is there and it's an important place prior to the Roman conquest. Castleton shouldn't be there because it doesn't get there until the 12th century. You build the castle, you build the town next to it as a speculative development. And in um, Doomsday, it just says there are three households in the Castleton area. So it suggests just a couple of farms and things like that. So um, that'd be interesting archaeologically. Very different stories in those villages. Historically, let's have a look at them archaeologically, um, see how they turn out. So you need lots of test bits around the place to do to geophysics when you can and so on. Um, it's a great way of getting cake and tea from people's garden, people because you're holes in their gardens and so on. Um, that's not the main reason, not well, it is actually. So, um, <laughs> test bits are wildly exciting most of the time. Actually, you don't find anything most of the time in the middle of these villages. Why can we not find stuff? Um, so, if you look at that, you do get odd bits of medieval pot. You get a reasonable amount of 18th and 19th century. If you put that into some kind of yeah, really, what's going on is you can't see the village. We know this is an early medieval village, really, we can't see it as far as its material, culture, and structures and other features go until the, the, well into the 18th century. You can't see it, now why might that be? Well, probably because it's a dispersed village rather than a nice neatly nucleated village, so you don't actually know its layout. It's got a church over here, a manor house there, a farm up there, a couple of cottages over there, and so on. And there isn't a lot of spare pottery and other material culture floating around for it to just get lost around the place for us to find later. So, difficult to see, even though we know it's there historically. Until the, uh, until the 18th century. What you have to do, you just have to keep plugging away at it, dig more holes and do more work. How does Carlston do? Now, Carlston is an enclosed 12th century town. Should be there, there it is, all in here. Um, castle up here, later extension out this way, supposedly, and so on. Um, Test bits of people's gardens, cake, cups of tea, all the usual things, just as exciting as they are in hope. Most of them with nothing in them whatsoever, um, but everybody's happy, obviously, doing them. Um, and you do find occasional bits of medieval pop, but again, surprise, surprise, you can't see these places until the 18th century. It's not like where I can see why friends have ran off crying into the Cambridgeshire, because this wouldn't happen in Buckinghamshire. You'd be able to see that the medieval, you'd be able to see the early medieval. Can't see them here at all. Why is that? Well, possibly partially in this case, it is a nucleated village in that sense, it's planned and enclosed, but maybe there are other suggestions that actually custom doesn't do very well. Not many people come to live there. It's actually quite a poor settlement and remains so right the way through until the 18th or 19th century when connections start to improve the turnpike roads and so on, make the whole much more improved. So actually, archaeologically, the two villages look identical in many ways at the moment, so we can work that out, even though historically we know they're very, very different places. But one really weird thing did happen in Castleton. There's both of those test pits, so down in this area down here, so there's fields over here, other side of the village, near the entrance to Peak Cavern, um, we dug some test bits in this in the, this bungalow garden there, and then because of what we found there, we've come back to work in here. So this is the area known as Jewel Yard. That's the car park for the Peak Cavern, um, and it's just on the other side of the stream from where the 12th century planned town was. So more test pits, happy people, me drinking tea and eating cake in the other on the other side of the garden. So well, you work. In this case, we had the odd thing though: found some bone. Now normally, of course, I like to just go behind the bone. Don't worry about it. Just stick it in the tray. Annoyingly, when you have a human bone person on site, they go, "No, it's the human bone." What are we doing with human bone here? Um, so it's very odd. I thought, that's odd. It was disturbed bits of bone in, mixed in with limestone rubble. So it just looks like a dump of material. It's odd. So we'll get a radiocarbon date on that. Turns out to be 9th century. That's wrong. There is no 9th century castle. So what's it doing there? So we decided to go back and put another test in the same garden. 
Uh, and also, we walked in the field. This is the field across the little car park. Coming through the gate there, as we walked into this field, what is that's Eileen Park, and as we walked into this field to do some test bits in here, we walked across a very slight ridge here, comes across it. We walked across that, and I said, what's this then? I said, don't know, we'll have a look at it later. So we wandered up the field, put our three test bits, found nothing, came back down to it. And I thought, by that time, I thought, this is it. This is the dump of material with human bones in it, isn't it? This is we're going to dig some holes here and we're going to find disturbed human remains in with this limestone rubble. It's going to be early medieval, but it's been brought in from somewhere else. No problem whatsoever there. So we put some trenches in. What happens? It's not. They're in situ burials. What? Um, while we've been doing this, the local history site have been looking at local newspaper reports and things and they've discovered things like this. End of the 19th century. Cyclist journey to Castleton, near the cafe at Castleton, which is the other side of the car park from where we are. Uh, large numbers of dead people, have put human remains. Some of the bones have got to Sheffield, and there are plenty left if you want to go and get some. <laughs> this is a slightly more diplomatic newspaper because when a similar thing happened with the tennis courts in the 1930s, which is in here, so the cafe is over here somewhere, so it's presumably in this area. 1930s, when you get the Telegraph and Star recording that hundreds of burials have been found in the area of the tennis courts, they tell you that cyclists have brought some back to Sheffield, and they encourage people, go out and get some for yourselves. <laughs> so, uh, those were the days, eh? Um, anyway, so, there's all sorts of newspaper words. Talk to local people. Oh, when we were putting a post in here, we found I found some finger bones and a bit of skull. That, we talk, I think I might have it in the kitchen drawer somewhere. Um, things like that. So, there's actually a whole series of references, even... The Higher Education Field Academy I found a human bone there. Um, so it looks like the, the, the evidence seems to suggest that we have a cemetery running along the edge of the terrace here above the river. It may go up over to here somewhere, but it certainly appears to run across the car park through uh, Mary Wainwright's garden. It ends here. We've got the end of it there. It doesn't carry on to the rest of the field. Um, it appears to be running from sort of 7th, 8th century through to the 10th century. It's a, it's, if it's true, and unfortunately we've not been able to dig in the car park, but if it's true, there's hundreds of dead people. This is a big Saxon cemetery um, in a place that shouldn't even have a settlement, so why is it there? Well, we don't know. Um, but it is there, and if you actually look at all our radio carbon dates, we've got a nice run from, indeed, probably a late, possibly late Roman post hole, right the way through, um, from, let's say, the 8th century through to the 10th century or so. So you can you know, start to say there's a, there's a cemetery running through here. It fades out of use, whatever is there disappears by the time of doomsday, which is catastrophic, because we take doomsday as a sort of Bible, gospel statement of what's there and what's early medieval and what isn't. So clearly there must be, a, there's a large cemetery, presumably meaning a settlement, in Castleton prior to doomsday, even though doomsday only tells us this, you know, you've just got three households, hardly anybody there, in the area around Peak Tarts, which is the right place, because the area we're talking about is across here, and that's the entrance to Peak Cavern. Um, so... It looks like we've got a cemetery across there, running from, say, the 8th to the 10th or so century. So perhaps this is where the early settlement was. And what, in fact, has happened, the, the conventional wisdom is that the castle is built, the 12th century planned town is built here, and the village extends across there later. And maybe, actually, the, the castle is built there, and Peveril designs his 12th century planned town on the greenfield site next to where the remnant of the village is. Um, the, actually, the early village was over here. But it is a real conundrum because just a mile up the road is the massive Minster Church, the local regional church. You're wondering why are people being buried here and not going up the road uh, to hope? Don't know. But anyway, so we can't find medieval casting, but we have stumbled upon early medieval casting, which shouldn't be there. So that's a, quite a good um, uh, <coughs> uh, uh, result of the test pitting. But also, um, Looking behind the method chapter on this side, we move forward in time too. So just very briefly with a couple of things to finish with. There's our area of early medieval. But over here, we've got um, a structure here which we know to be U-Hall. And we've been able to identify 
exactly where it is. We can see what it looks like, so here's a picture of it. Um, we can see, understand what's going on with New Hall because it's a late medieval building. It goes out of use in the 19th century, having sort of declined into being a farmhouse. Um, uh, and it's not down in the 1890s, but it's, it's a well-known place because, in particular, because the plasterwork in Lucille Hall, the fancy plasterwork on walls and ceilings, is supposed to be copied from New Hall. And New Hall is supposed to have this famous 16th century Sheffield School plasterwork in it. I've never heard of the Sheffield School of plasterwork um, until digging this thing up and getting a very excited man from Lincoln coming to look at all the bits. Um, so but apparently it is, and he is very, very excited indeed by our bits uh, from here. So we have, so we've small, yes, we've got walls, we can see where it is. Um, when you look at it, that's the bit we did in the first year. The walls are mostly robbed out. So again, you dig a small hole, you get a bit of wall, you dig a bigger hole, and actually that's all the wall there was. There isn't any more, you just got the line of where it once was. Really, really was robbed out in this case. Um, we've got the gable end of the building there, and then the rest of the building would have run across this way uh, somewhere. Um, so there's the staircase that was running up, part of that. So if we look at that, what we've excavated is the end of the wall, that's the staircase running up. This wall running this way completely robbed out. We've got some internal walls. Um, so that's the staircase running up. That's the gable end of the building, mostly robbed out while you're running through. There should be a front wall here. We can't see it all. That's an internal wall. What we have got is this stuff. It's exciting, isn't it? Isn't that exciting? The answer is yes. If you're somebody from David Westwick from Lincoln, uh, who quiveringly excited because this does not match the stuff in Lucille Hall. Doesn't matter. Terrible. So anyway, so we've got to dig more just to get more of that so we can prove it one way or another. Um, uh, so it looks like we're going to be back here and we'll get the, the footprint of New Hall and we can see where we can get more of this plaster work for this uh, this, this, this lake development of the village. Um, so there we are. So. Um, just to finish off, one thing left is, of course, we've moved forward medieval and going forward post-medieval, but actually, what about going earlier here? Well, one of the places we've actually managed to have a look at is around the area of uh, the Roman fort at the Navio, uh, the Roman fort at Bruff, um, <coughs> because there's been a number of projects going on. Uh, the Roman road from Temple to Bruff, a project thought about by the time travellers, a group from Sheffield, but then taken up by David Inglis, of course, um, uh, British stations and so on. Local interest from the Hope Historical Society about the Roman road to Melandra, the continuation of that road over the hills towards Glossop to the next Roman fort at Melandra. Um, and also early metalworking um, in general, and particularly, as it turned out, after year two, early metalworking, perhaps the Roman, Roman metalworking in the area. So, the Roman fort is down here, very nicely situated, where this valley comes from the the lead mining areas of the Peak District to meet this east-west route uh, that's running back across towards the Cheshire Plain and across towards uh, Lincoln and York, and also where this road comes in. So nicely placed in a very strategically significant place in the valley, probably a better position perhaps than Pebble uh, Castle is, although um, presumably the priorities are different there. The east-west route is more important than the medieval period. So you've got the fort there, there it is. The supposed site of the Vicus down here. Various small excavations have been put in place. People have said all kinds of crazy things about what goes on around the fort. Um, so, so far we've done geophysics and geochemistry. We haven't done this. Uh, it's all the, the fine young people who've been involved in this project. And they've been supposed to have done some young person. Yes, very fine young person. So anyway, here, magnetometry, we've covered. So the Roman fort is sitting in here. Um, magnetometry across the Vicus area. We'll have a look at this. Across the other side of the stream, an area that's being quarried at the moment. Uh, and so on. Uh, resistivity. Uh, unfortunately, this area is incredibly wet due to uh, a water pipe that runs across here and is leaking. Um, but there's a Roman fort, you can see the Roman fort, you can see other features. Geochemistry. Uh, oh, <laughs> um, showing areas of lead, so very high lead down here. 
um, and that's the Roman fort area. So it does correlate with the Roman fort, it correlates with part of what we think the Vicus area. Actually, it looks like that is the Vicus area, the bit by the fort probably isn't. One or two strange lines, and here, let's not go into those. Um, we try to look at them together. And here, uh, really interesting from my point of view, is this clear line running through. So you've got a relatively clear line running through there, and a lot of activity in here, a lot of activity in there, uh, a little bit of activity here, and you're running into the Roman fort here. And you can see activity within the Roman fort, that's on the magnetometry. Resistivity, you can see more detail within the Roman forts, relatively regular buildings here. We know the Prohibia building's about there, because that's the end bit, seven next baby. Um, less regular there. Possibly the line running through a similar space of the line running through on the magnetometry. And then you look at that line running through on the magnetometry with that line running through on the, the PXRF soil chemistry. So fine, well, fine. This team. Very high lead down here, very high lead down here. But this is the this is where the beakus is, or at least the bit of the beakus that's processing. Um, lead. Something is happening with lead on the side. What? Who knows? Who knows? Ask David. Uh, David this will find out because he started his PhD. So David this will find this all this out soon because uh, we know a PhD working on this. So there we are. We've been there for a, a, a week or two in this. So there's our three or five year plan. Um, what have we got to show for it? Uh, well, we've got we have got the medieval hospital, one of the buildings at least, possibly the chapel, possibly the whole thing, plus the cemetery. We've got a completely unexpected pre-Norman cemetery and potentially settlement on the other side of the village. Uh, we've had a look at and realised how difficult it will be to explore, but need to continue exploring the origins and development of the two villages to see if we can tease out two villages that should be historic, which are historically very different, um, but are archaeologically indistinguishable at the moment. Uh, We've started to explore Rome. I should have added that in, in addition to all the successful geophysics and geochemistry, um, there were some not so uh, effective excavations across the line of supposed Roman roads, none of which proved to be vaguely Roman or even road-like in most cases. So, um, so, but anyway, we started to explore that, um, looking at the early exploitation of metals lead in this area. So we've, we've got some information about post-medieval Carlson Hope, should say we've looked at one or two sites in Hope as well, haven't covered. We're obviously making a significant contribution to the understanding of the Sheffield School of Pathway in the 16th century. Not something I expected to do in my life, but anyway, good. Um, and lots of other things we could be doing. Where's the prehistoric here? John Barrett did once say to me, where are the people who built Mantor living then? Oh, I haven't found them yet, John, sorry. Um, <laughs> so there are questions there. Of course, there's all sorts of loads of things, enclosure, agriculture, all sorts of things going on in this uh, valley as a whole. Um, and actually, all that came because we just wanted to have a quick look at a hospital. We thought that'd be easy publicity. Um, <laughs> so there's lots more to be done at the end of this valley. So there's Castle over here, Roman Fort over there, Hope over there. Um, we wanted to just look at the hospital. Where's the hospital? It's just in there. Um, I wanted to look at that, but actually, it's grown into this sort of imperially expansive project um, that was running over. As you can see, it started off with a clear plan. We had a clear timetable for it. 11 years on, we've obviously stuck to that closely, um, and it's all going swimmingly, so I presume it's still a five-year project. Who knows how long that'll be? And no doubt it will find other directions to follow and pursue, and other things will it'll help other PhDs like David Inglis's spin-off from it as, as we keep going. Anyway, that's where we are at the moment. It's only been 11 years, so plenty of time to, to go yet, and hopefully we can all come and join in with it in future years. Thank you for listening to Archaeology and Ale. For more information about our podcast and guest speaker, please see the show notes that accompany this recording. You can get in touch with us at Archaeology in the City on Facebook, WordPress, or Twitter if you have any questions or comments. We'd love to hear from you. See, see you next time. time.
This show is produced by the Archaeology Podcast Network, Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle in Reno, Nevada at the Reno Collective. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.